The TEFL Commute, Season 13, Episode 2, Women, in which the women take over. Hi Sandy, how are you doing? I'm all right, thank you. How are you? Very well. It's very nice to be here together, just the two of us. Yes, yes. The change in voices. Yes. <laughs> We've been allowed to take over. And Sean and Lindsay are out in the cold just for this uh, one episode, which we're dedicating, I think, aren't we, to International Women's Day? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. But I guess there's some, uh, there's one little thing that we're forgetting to do, that initial bit that Lindsay normally does. Oh, yes, of course. So uh, welcome to the TEFL Commute. It's the podcast that's not about language teaching, but the subject always seems to come up. Lovely. OK. And so the subject today is us. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, women, International Women's Day, women in ELT. Um, where should we start? I think maybe the whole idea of International Women's Day, maybe we can start there. Um, Sandy, when, when did you first become aware of March the 8th being International Women's Day? For me, it was a very eventful day because it was the year that I was living in Crimea and when there were lots of events happening in Ukraine in, in uh, Independence Square and my first Women's Day, I was in Kiev and I visited my dad uh, after most of the protests had finished but while there were still people living on the square and I had been presented with a tulip that morning by the person who was showing me around the city, who was a man. Um, and then in the evening uh, or in the late afternoon, I was taken to Maidan and it was just full of women with tulips and with carnations, which is the memorial flower there. And tulips are the traditional flower for Women's Day. And people were leaving flowers all around the memorials of the um, of the square to the hundred people or so who had died there. And so it was a very, very memorable kind of first encounter with Women's Day. What about you? When did you first come across it? Wow, I was just wondering, what colour were the tulips? Was there a specific colour? No, they could be any colour. The, the carnations tended to be red, but the tulips were all different colours. Okay, wow. Well, that must have been <clears throat> amazing. I think for me too, um, it wasn't really kind of on my radar at all until I moved out of the UK. And it was when I was living in Italy and um, when I first kind of became aware of it as a thing. And the colour there was yellow, very much so. The, um, one of the traditions in Italy is to gift mimosa. Um, and I don't know if you know what mimosa no, what is looks that? like. It's tiny little, tiny little yellow balls which kind of grow in a huge bunch it's very it's kind of like a really really bright yellow color okay. and obviously it's around at that time of year it's really cheap to gift mm -hmm. traditionally initially it would be women gifting it to each other mm -hmm. but when I was there which was in the 80s it had been a bit co-opted and it was men 
buying presents for women on Women's Day, which really seemed not quite to be the point of the day. Yeah, when I was in <laughs> Ukraine, the tradition appeared to be that men gave women bunches of tulips. And for that one day in the year, men would do all of the work in the house. So women uh, were allowed to put their feet up. Yeah. Um, and there was something of a protest that this was perhaps not in the spirit of Women's Day. Um, and that perhaps men should be making more of an effort in the rest of the year and not only on one day in the year. Totally. I think my, I, I first started actually kind of joining in in Women's Day events and stuff in Spain and mm -hmm. really only in the last couple of years. And here the colour is purple. So the colour of feminism, um, the uh, the t-shirts, the banners, the flags, whatever, it's all purple. But it really exploded as a day a couple of years ago when there was a very high profile um, rape case in the north of Spain, which caused um, a huge wave of solidarity kind of uh, just before, it was just before March the 8th. So this is the biggest march ever in Spain was held and it was an amazing, um, amazing thing to be part of because there were people of all ages, political colours, you know, sort of, it wasn't the feminist march, it was everybody's march and mm -hmm. so, um, yeah, uh, in in the TEFL world, for me, in the LT world, it, it tends to coincide with TESOL Spain conference. Right. So um, sometimes I just kind of have to celebrate by wearing my Women's Day purple T-shirt on that day. <laughs> it sounds like it's a much bigger thing in Spain and Italy and also in Ukraine than it is in Poland. In Poland, our school director tends to buy chocolate or donuts for all of the women. <laughs> but that seems to be the only celebration that we have of it here, I think. It might be a bit bigger, but it's not something Thing that I've specifically noticed is is celebrated a lot here and as you say like I've, I've tended to notice social media and campaigns and things more yeah. and more in the last four or five years but before that I wasn't really aware of it the year that I was in uh, Ukraine uh, that was in 2014 that was the year mm -hmm. that I first became aware of it and it's 2021 as we're recording this so yeah. I guess it, it feels like it's much bigger uh, now than it was then yeah, and there's yeah. a whole Me Too and the Him For Her kind of hashtag campaigns and everything that have <clears throat> brought it more and more to the fore, I guess. And yeah, I'm noticing teenage girls in Spain being more and more aware of it as well. Mm -hmm. My daughter included. <laughs> okay. Um, so, uh, shall we move on to talk a little bit about the history of Women's Day? But maybe yeah. let's take a break first. Okay, so I've got a bit of a quiz for you then, Kerry, to find out what you know about the history of uh, oh, Women's dear. Day. <laughs> Okay, it's five questions. Uh, sadly, they're not multiple choice, but I will give you a little bit of leeway. Um, okay, so oh, um, I think scary. <laughs> don't be scared. Don't worry. It's a nice quiz, and then um, it's something that um, teachers might want to be able to use with their students. For example, I think this is something you could take into the classroom. Um, okay, so question one: um, In which year was that idea of an International Women's Day first proposed? I'll give you five years either way. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So I think that this was in the very early 20th century. So I'm going to go for something like 1911. You're very close. It was 1910. 
Yeah, Almost. that was very close. <laughs> okay. But 1911 is an important date for this because um, that's actually the year that the first Women's Day celebrations happened. So they were March the 19th in 1911 and more mm -hmm. than a million people in Germany, Switzerland, Austria and Denmark took part in protests, including um, suffrage protests for women trying yeah. to get the vote. Um, so... Um, March the 8th became the date a little bit later, um, and that's March the 8th on the Gregorian calendar. But the Russian Julian calendar, um, what date is March the 8th on the Julian calendar? Oh, I think it's February something, but I don't, I wouldn't be able to get any closer than that, I don't think. It is. It's February the 23rd. Oh, I was so going to say 24th. You were very close. <laughs> <laughs> so it's February the 23rd. And so some of the early uh, events were the huge events happened in Russia on the 23rd of February. Mm -hmm. And um, March the 8th was actually a Saturday that year. Uh, sorry, a Sunday that year. And um, ever since then, since 1914, because the 23rd of February on the Russian um, at that point on the Julian calendar and March the 8th on the Gregorian calendar because they fell on the same day. They've, um, the 8th of March has been uh, celebrated as International Women's Day since 1914. And yeah. in 1917, the 8th of March actually marked the start of the February Revolution uh, in Russia. The Women's Day protests were some of the first protests in the February Revol uh, Revolution. So that's why Women's Day on the 8th of March, Julian calendar, 23rd of February the beginning of the February uh, Revolution. I learned a lot while I was making this clip. <laughs> um, I'm okay. learning a lot now. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, what year did the UN officially adopt International Women's Day? Okay, so I think that this is much, much later. Um, and I'm going to, I'm gonna, but not that much later, I'm going to give a stab in that it was in the 1970s, possibly. You're very good at this. It was 1975. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so 1975 had already been designated as International Women's Year. Um, and so they officially adopted the day then, although it was a couple of years until they kind of supported it as a day that they sponsored. And now the United Nations is kind of the primary sponsor of International Women's Day. And they, just, they say that it's designed to celebrate acts of courage and determination by ordinary women women who have played an extraordinary role in the history of their countries and communities. So again, it started off with suffrage and then it's moving mm. on to celebrating what women can do. Um, okay, so in some countries, um, International Women's Day is actually a national holiday. Um, uh, can you perhaps try and name three of them? Ooh, okay, so it's going to be totally random. I have absolutely no idea. Um, so I'm going to go, like, Mexico. Mm, not no. on my list, no. <laughs> you can have five attempts, I think. So now I'm going to go to Central Europe instead. Um, the Czech Republic. Um, it's not, although it is celebrated there. Okay. You're much closer. You're much closer in, in, okay. if, you, if you stay but on we, this we side know of it, the We know world. it's not Spain, Italy, Poland, the UK, um, Germany. Uh, no. Do you want some help? 
I, I desperately need help. <laughs> um, so a lot of the countries where it's a national holiday were in the former Soviet Union. Okay. Um, Hungary? Uh, no, closer to home. I, I, I'll read you the, the list according to Wikipedia. Go on, so then. Wikipedia <laughs> says um, Afghanistan, Angola, Armenia, Azerbaijan, Belarus, Burkina Faso, Cambodia, China, but only for women. Uh, that's the only country where that appears to be the case. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Cuba, Georgia, Guinea-Bissau. Uh, yeah. Eritrea, Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, Laos, um, Madagascar. Oh, sorry, they they also only for uh, only for women. Moldova, Mongolia, Nepal, Russia, Tajikistan, <laughs> Turkmenistan, Uganda, Ukraine. I didn't tell you it was a national holiday before. <laughs> Uzbekistan, Vietnam, and Zambia. So there's around about 20 countries where it's a national holiday. Okay, so I think we should say happy national holiday for Women's Day to anybody listening from any of those countries, basically. Yeah, and happy That's Mother's Day. Yeah, happy Mother's Day in some countries. Apparently, oh, right, I think okay. in, in Romania it's celebrated um, as um mother's day as well and in chile i think there's a few mm -hmm. other countries where that's the case so yeah um okay the final country uh, the final question then and this comes back to what you were talking about before according to the un what colors officially symbolize the day three colors colors three colors yeah I don't know. Um, I'm going to go with purple, but I think that might just be here. Yeah, purple is purple, purple okay. is one of them. Purple is the colour of yeah, justice and dignity, apparently. Yeah, okay. Um, is white one yeah. of them? Okay. Yeah, white is considered to be the colour of purity, although there's some controversy over that. Yeah, I think that they, I, I, I can imagine controversy about choosing white. Um, and... Um, I'm going to go with yellow just because of my <laughs> my own experience and that's going to be wrong. So the final colour is green, which is the colour of oh, hope. Yes. Okay. And actually these three colours, purple, white and green, they came from the UK, from the Women's Social and Political Union, which was one of the suffrage jet movement yeah. so i'm going to say suffragette not suffragist i think that's correct and they were chosen in 1908 by the wspu and then they've been adopted as the official colors of the day so there you go. there's a little bit about the history of international women's day lovely i quiz. think that's that's a lot about the history of <laughs> women's day. It, was, it was fascinating yeah yeah okay great i think that whole clip could be used in class do you know it's like, mm -hmm. Um, and I think we should take a little break after that quiz. Hey everyone, Sandy here to say thanks for listening and just to let you know that if you want to say thanks for all the episodes that the Tuffle Commute team have given you for free, we'd be really grateful. The show will always be free, but there are some costs involved. So if you'd like to help out, go to buymeacoffee.com slash Commute and buy us a coffee. Thanks very much. So, Kerry, um, have you got any interesting stories then about being a, a woman working in ELT? Anything that you've noticed that you think might have been different for you as a woman as opposed to if you were a man? Yeah, it, that is interesting. I have to kind of think about that a little. Obviously, I've been thinking about it before because this whole topic was coming up. But I think in, I used to think that there wasn't any discrimination 
that much. But then um, I was thinking about it a little bit more closely. And I, I think that there have been quite a few times when I felt that maybe I was the token woman in the room. You know, sort of that I was there because I was a woman uh, rather than because I was me. <laughs> and, um, okay. and that there are situation definitely situations everywhere where um even though the um the profession the industry whatever you want to call it is like massively um female as far as the number of teachers and you know, sort of actually in the classroom um but there are still pockets which are very very male and where uh, being a woman is seen as more of an exception as it were and, and also this whole idea of but we need to have women in there so i've i've suspected sometimes that i'm the token woman uh, what about you um for me i don't think i've come across it very much but there's one particular time that it, it i really noticed it so um uh, i'm currently the director of studies at a school in poland and we have a sister school that's quite close and um we organized a, uh, a social with the teachers from the other school um, and we were having a meal and uh, one of the kind of young male teachers from the other school um, looked around the table and he pointed at the oldest male at the table who he didn't recognize, who was a guy who was kind of in his early 40s. And he said to me, uh, is that your director of studies? And I laughed at him and said, no, that's me. Um, yes, that's right. I'm female and 31. I'm one of the younger females at the table as opposed to the oldest man. And he, he didn't respond to that. He kind of <laughs> looked away, shamefaced, and then moved on with the conversation. But that was, um, for me, that was the only time that I've ever really noticed that perhaps I don't fit people's image of what a manager might be or a director mm -hmm. of studies might be, even though I know that there are so many fantastic female DOSs and academic managers in the profession. Um, his school is managed by a man and he looked around and found the person who kind of most closely matched the, the person who was managing his school. And he was a new teacher, he probably didn't know any different, but I still, I it was quite telling for me, I think. Yeah, but there's like the whole world as well, isn't there? There's not just EFL, you know, so there's kind of, um, I guess, um, thinking about that now, it was like I've, I've been invited to do things like, you know, sort of like an online webinar or maybe visit somewhere or whatever. And, um, and when I get the email or it's addressed to Mr. Jones, uh, which ah. I know is to do with like the whole confusion over my, my name is both male and female anyway. Right. So Kerry, okay. Kerry can be a guy, Kerry can be um, a woman and, you know, sort of, but uh, also turning up at hotels where the room has been booked for Mr. Jones is quite, is kind of interesting as well. Okay. <laughs> there, there was even one where the hotel had little visiting cards, like it was something Victorian. <laughs> so right. They, 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 let, they gave you a little pack of visiting cards that where it said, Mr. Jones is in residence at such and such a hotel. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> Oh and I kept that one. It was like <laughs> so, so just the default being not the, just just if you don't know, then it must be a mystery. Then it must be a man, yeah. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Interesting. 
Okay, so I think um, within ELT then there have been some moves to kind of combat these impressions and um, one of them uh, is something called Eve um, and so shall we take a break and listen to Fiona Mochlin tell us something about Eve? Yep, I think that'd be great. Voices in ELT. Um, Eve was started by Sue Leather and by myself in 2018 with the aim of promoting representation in ELT events and featured plenaries, um, poster speakers, so to speak. Uh, we focus on gender parity or representation and on um, L1, L2 English speaker parity to try and redress the balance. Um, we have also recently started mentoring programs with teachers associations. Uh, notably in 2020, we ran a, a very successful um, program with Africa Elta. And well, keep an eye on our website and on our Facebook page for news of uh, new programs coming in 2021 with other associations in other regions of the world. Um, if you'd like any more information on how your event could qualify for an EVE badge, or to contact us if you feel that your event does qualify, um, do check out our website and our Facebook page. Okay, so uh, within ELT then over the last few years, I think there's been an increasing awareness of the fact that although women make up the large majority of teachers, they're perhaps not um, as equally represented in other areas of the profession. Is that something that you've noticed yourself, Kerry? Yeah, okay. So this kind of, you know, loops back to what um, I was saying earlier about being the token woman, possibly. And it's obviously something which is kind of, it, it, it's problematic. It's that idea of, you know, the uh, all-male panel at a conference, for example, or the plenary speakers at a conference, or being male, or just being one woman represented in that way. So um, I, th I think, and it's, it's something that people are, obviously, we've just heard, actively working to counter. But, um, you know, it's kind of, it, it's, it's still something that, that is there and people are picking up on. Um, yeah, I don't know. What, what do you feel? Um, I think it's something that I wasn't really aware of initially because I went to a lot of local conferences and at those conferences it did feel like there were a lot of female speakers. But then in 2015, Russ uh, Main and Nicola Prentice did some research, and which they presented at Ayatafel Harrogate mm. based on 2014 data. I remember, and yeah. So Nicola and Russ uh, did a survey of about 520 people, um, and um, they asked uh, them to name the first five uh, people connected to ELT that they could think of. Um, it didn't matter who they were but any five well-known people within ELT. So we'll give you a few seconds. You can have a think. Who would you say are, are five well-known people in ELT? So in their list, um, the, the, the responses that they got from their survey, um, 161 different male names were mentioned and only 89 female names. But when they took the individual total mentions, 
only 295 mentions were females and 1,421 were males. And when they created a top 10 list of who the, the most well-known people were in ELT, according to their survey respondents, from the top 10, there was only one female, which was Penny Err, and the other nine people were all male. Um, the other research that they did as part of this was they looked at a calendar of conferences from 2014 that's compiled by T Tyson Seaburn. And they looked at uh, conferences, uh, plenary slots to find out whether they had more male or more female uh, plenary slots or whether it was roughly equal. Um, and they found that 32 had more male than female plenary slots, 16 had more female than male, and then 15 were roughly equal male and female. But then the total plenary slots to men, there were 114 to men and 96 to women. And this is particularly interesting because I think there's some research that says around about 95% of English teachers are actually women. Wow. So this representation doesn't seem to be trickling through to kind of well-known names or conferences. Now, this is informal research from 2014. I'd be very interested to know whether that's changed now with uh, initiatives like EVE, like Equal Voices in ELT, mm. and the Fair List, which Tessa Woodward um, has organised in the UK um, for UK-based conferences, which both of them give awards for representation and for equality um, and I, I feel like that's something that because of research like this and because of those two organisations I think that um, it's something that organisations are increasingly aware of when they organise their conferences and I would be very interested to know how much those statistics have changed now. It would be great wouldn't it to repeat those studies and I think that um, it, to me it feels like it legitimises people in calling out situations where there there is an imbalance so personally i think i've seen that more in on social media for example so it might be in a facebook group or on twitter where people are calling out um an event or a conference for not having a balance and then yeah go on and I was going to say that I think uh, I think I have seen that calling out. I think it is something mm. that that organisers do try and be aware of, but occasionally it is beyond their control. For example, if publishers just send somebody, but they don't have any choice over who it is. So I do feel occasionally it becomes quite negative towards the conference organiser. I think it should be done in the sense of information rather than accusatory nature. Like, I can't believe you would possibly run this conference or you would be the person on the... You know, sometimes the speakers don't have any choice if they're the publisher, uh, if they're sent by the publisher. But the but I know that some male speakers now are asking, you know, if they'll be part of a panel, for example, some male speakers are asking, will there be females on the panel? Will it be representative in other ways? For example, native, non-native speakers, um, and also the representation of race as well, or local teachers. But I think this is still something that's very much a work in progress within the industry at the moment. Absolutely and I think that's a really really important and fair point that of, of the it's not always possible um, and that a lot of I mean you know so of, the, of these conversations that the conference organizers are just explaining the limitations that there are and that maybe you started out with a lovely balance and then things happened and, yeah. and you know sort of somebody it, it, got sick or yeah well, yeah exactly so uh, although 
um, kind of not within ELT, but I think it's quite interesting. Um, I, I can't remember exactly where I, I read these figures, but um, during lockdown and with um, in-person conferences going online and uh, throughout academia, so this isn't ELT, um, there had been this idea that maybe that would actually support and help women's voices in conferences and that they would be able to present more because they wouldn't be hampered by the supposed idea that the women are caring for the family and therefore aren't traveling as well. Mm -hmm. um, but apparently it was even worse. The representation of women's uh -huh. voices went down because on lockdown, again, the care, looking after the family was falling to the women within the house where everybody was vying for, you know, sort of computer and online space. Interesting. So I thought that was quite sad. That is way, sad. You know? That's not something that I've, that I've heard about, but that's something that I'll definitely be aware of in online conferences now because I, I hadn't really thought about it, but interesting. I think, yeah, I think it was in the world of STEM, you know, mm. it was kind of very much research, um, conferences where people mm -hmm. were putting forward their research whatever and so it seemed to be that women were having to take even more of a backseat. So maybe that's some interesting research for somebody to conduct then whether in this in this year of uh, Covid and online everything being online conferences whether their statistics are maybe different to the year before I don't know how easy those statistics are to get yeah. but there's an MA project in there somewhere, I think. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, okay, so we, we've talked a bit about conferences then. Um, the, the other thing I think that is interesting to think about is representation in materials themselves. Mm. So we've talked about materials writing. So um, again, I don't know where I heard this, but I remember... Um, hearing that uh, named females are much less common than named males within materials. And so ever since I've heard that, so it, it might say, for example, you know, John and Jack, but then it would say my sister or, my, you know, my girlfriend or whatever, but it wouldn't, they wouldn't have actual names. They would just be described by their roles. And so, or, or just she. And ever since then, I've made a conscious effort whenever I write any exercise, to make sure that there are even numbers of named males and named females, for example. Is that something that, that you do? Because you obviously write a lot more materials than me. Is that something that you do or you know about? So I've never come across this idea before of, the, of a, there being an imbalance in naming. I think it tends to be um, a style that's required within courses, from my experiences, that you name or you don't name. So mm -hmm. it's like, you know, you'd say, two friends or you'd say you know jack and jill mm -hmm. or whatever um and um i think so i haven't come across that thing with the names but certainly um as a as a woman writer on um authoring teams where there are also men i think it's kind of uh, I, I i think i tend to go the other way and so mm -hmm. have more women speakers and figures and representation in the bits of the material that I'm writing, but I think which is actually a great argument for having um, as mixed a team of authors as you can get, so you can get as much representation of various different um, communities, contexts, angles, whatever. But yeah, I think, I, uh, so I've never come across that, but there is still, I think, in some materials, a representation thing of roles which um, I, we need to be vigilant of and work against. Again, that's kind of, you know, sort of 
the boss. Yeah. <laughs> make, the, make the boss female. Make the yeah. police officer female. You know, sort of rather than it's automatically the police officer he. Why not the police officer she? she. You know, sort of. And yeah. And I guess that's true of, of images in the course books as well, like like using images that have stereotypical, um, you know, potentially old fashioned images where you've got like a male businessman and his female secretary, for example. Why not two women um, or yeah, or have the roles reversed, for example? Yeah, um, I think that kind of representation is probably something that people are looking at much, much more carefully now than they would have done and i would have i think there are as you were saying earlier there are other areas of representation which need which need more attention at the moment which is um culture race ethnicity all of all of these i think Mm -hmm. sexuality as well yes absolutely it's something Mm -hmm. that that needs more attention paid to and representation not that we should stop um making sure that the representation of gender is also in there. And I think James will be very happy if we mention the fact that they've been working on uh, books called Raise Up, which which do work on this representation as well. Absolutely, so. absolutely. I think I've got one little thing to come back to you on, from because okay. uh, you um, gave me a quiz to go okay. through. Uh, yes, of course. <laughs> so I have, I have this idea was that um, you... you if you look up, you know, sort of what to do uh, for a class, for example, on International Women's Day, then it's <clears throat> all of the first woman to do this, the first woman to do that, etc. And I was thinking, like, do you know what? Um, I'm not sure that that's actually valid. I want to look for a list of the first person to do something, and that person was a woman, yes. But nice. it's not that she was the first woman. Oh, Loads of men did this before, obviously, and here's the first woman, which feels kind of patronizing. So I have some names and some fields of achievement. And you okay. can, so you can choose. I can either give you a name and right. you can um, guess what, the, what this um, woman did first that no one else had done. Okay. Or, I could, or a field of achievement, and you can kind of, th- and I, and you can match them to the names. How, how would you like to go about it? Let's go with the names and see how many of them I'm familiar with already. Okay, you will be familiar with them. I'm going to go in chronological order. I kind of okay. written them down, and I wasn't sure whether to go in reverse, but I think we're going to start way back when and okay. build up. So, okay, um, you definitely know the first name, and it's Marie Curie. So, but, yeah, what was, she, what is she the first? person to do so i believe she was the first person to get two nobel prizes Absolutely. not just one yes, yes. <laughs> okay so there's very few people who've actually done that anyway i think there's like maybe uh four mm-hmm. and and some organizations so yeah so in I, 19- I, my polish friends wouldn't let me get away with not knowing that because she's polish and so yes, if i didn't so, know yeah. that i would be in deep trouble <laughs> and the two prizes the two nobel prizes uh, one of well? them was for chemistry yeah and yeah. one of them was for medicine mm, almost. physics, physics. yeah, physics, yeah. <laughs> it was, so, i couldn't decide if it was medicine or <laughs> physics yeah 1903 she got a nobel prize for physics and 1911 for chemistry okay, okay. the next name super well known as well amelia earhart what was she famous for she was the first person to attempt to fly around the world i know that she i think that or the first 
I know that she got lost uh, <laughs> yeah, and yeah. they didn't know where she was. So I don't know if she succeeded in actually flying around the world. Well, I'm not her, sure. her first success, and she was the first person to do this, was a solo flight from Hawaii to mainland US. Ah, okay. She was the first person to attempt that, which is um, over... 2,400 miles of That's flight. That's pretty impressive. Which is because... Amazingly impressive in 1935. I was going to say, uh, what year was that? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, uh, so she was the first person to attempt and succeed in Excellent. making that flight. Yeah. Okay. Um, Hattie McDaniel. Hmm. That's and not I a think, name I'm familiar yeah, with. I think I'm cheating slightly with this because. Um, Anyway, you'll find out in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> Can you give me kind of a broad area? I can. Are we thinking We're science, talking... arts, travel? No. Yeah, arts, entertainment. I could even tell you it's cinema. Okay. Um, so uh, was she the first person to be on, um, like, in sound in cinema? Oh, okay, like wonderful. That would, that would be worth researching. I haven't researched that. Yeah. So maybe one of the first voices would have been a female voice. That mm -hmm. would have been interesting. No, it's in 1939. Right. And it's about the Oscars. Well, was she the... Um, First uh, best director? No, because that didn't come until much later. No, I don't know. Okay. I don't know. So she was the first African American to win an Oscar. Ah, okay. Uh, so okay. Uh, that's why I said it was kind of slightly cheating because she wasn't the first woman to do something. Yeah. <laughs> but also, she wasn't the first person to win an Oscar, obviously. Yeah. But she was the first African American to win an Oscar. And she won the Oscar, though for the role of Mammy in, in Gone, Gone with, with the Wind. The wind. Yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah, okay. So we're coming forward to 1980, and um, Roberta Williams, is that a name that you no, know? No, again, that's okay. not a name that so I'm familiar are you with. A, are you a gamer? Uh, a little bit, okay. yes. Okay, well, um, it's in the field of gaming in the mm. 1980s. Oh, that's, <laughs> it's bad to admit that's before I was born. So yes, exactly. Like, I mean, the rest of them were before I was born as well, but video gaming feels like I should be more current yeah. with that. I, I don't know. Okay, I've never heard of her. Yeah. Uh, but, so I'm not a gamer, but uh, she is apparently the considered um, the mother of uh, graphic adventure games. She ah. wrote the first ever graphic adventure game, which was called Mystery House. It right. was black and white and built for Apple II. Apparently, oh. I know nothing about this, she's famous for King's Quest, which was the first colour graphic adventure game. So okay. I think it would be fair to say that a lot of people think of gaming as being possibly more male than female as a field. So it was yeah. actually the mother of gaming was Roberta Williams. Fascinating. Um, and we're coming much closer now, So, uh, but this one is still, it's 1993, it's sport. It's a sport that in the 90s, um, women were competing, were starting to compete with men and um, were equaling, if not mm -hmm. uh, doing better than the men. So, um, and I can tell you that it's in the States and her name is Lynn Hill. Again, that's not something okay. that I that I know about. This is a very hard quiz. <laughs> Sorry. She's, she's a free climber. And ah, she was okay. the first person. Did she climb Yosemite? Was yes. it been in Yosemite, the um, half dome? The nose, it's called. Apparently, okay. apparently El Capitan, which is okay. this um, 
kind of sheer face, which uh, is apparently like the, you know, the the meta. I've seen it. It looks pretty scary from the bottom. I've been there and standing at the bottom and looking up. I wouldn't want to go anywhere near it, but I'm not a climber. So that's an amazing achievement. Yeah. And and, um, I can't remember. I I don't have it written down here in my notes, but there was like very few people have actually done that. And so she was the first person to do that. Okay. Okay. This one you're going to know. 2020. Billie Eilish. I have no idea. I know uh, nothing okay. about modern okay. music. I know, she's, I know she's a singer, but that's about the end okay. of it. So she's the youngest winner of a Grammy album of the year at the age of 18. Wow. She took the record from another female singer, okay. Taylor Swift, who previously won the album of the year at the age of 20. Oh, wow. Okay. And so that brings us up to uh, 2021. And who is the person in 2021 who has been um, like Hattie McDaniel, who was the um, the, act, the actor who won the Oscar? Yeah. Uh, this is um, a woman who is actually the first woman to do something, but not only the first woman to do it. Oh, politics. No think, think politics. Ah, uh, yes. Um... Kamala Harris yeah, is the, the first um, vice president uh, of the United States um, so, uh, to be a woman and also to be, um, I don't know, this is very bad. No, 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 no. Okay, not at all. I don't want you to feel bad about it. Um, so she's the first person of colour to be vice president. So That's uh, also the first woman, but the first person of colour to be vice president. So uh-huh. or, um, and as um, a representative of, as it were, um, Caribbean, African-American, and also Asian. Yes, that's what I was trying to remember. I knew that she had a, a very mixed heritage and I couldn't remember which, which one she represented. So yeah. all of them is the answer. <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. But okay. that, that's, uh, the, I mean, I think she wins a prize for representation of some sort. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thank you for that, Kerry. I definitely learned something from that. I didn't know a lot of those names. Neither did I before I started looking it up. But what I did learn was that it's really, really difficult to find an answer to that question because obviously what I did was ask Google and uh, Google wouldn't just couldn't get its head around the question and yeah. kept on giving me lists and lists of first woman to do this, first woman to do that, first woman to do the other. And even when I worded it as, the first person to do something who was also a woman. And then finally, I found a forum where people were sharing the answers. That it I could sounds go like you said. <laughs> so you yeah. set yourself a good challenge for that. That I think my quiz was a lot easier to come up with. <laughs> uh, but I think it would be quite a nice classroom challenge as well. Mm-hmm. Instead of this also, also maybe kind of flipping that awareness thing of don't look for the first woman to do something. Look for a first person, a person who was the first to do something who also happened to be a woman. Yeah, I think it's a fascinating idea. Okay, so that feels like a good point to leave it on then. Uh, Now that we've kind of put the world to rights in this episode, and I think we've both learned things from the episode as well. And it's been great fun. And I think it's wonderful that the women have taken over Tepelkund. Yes, I mean, another area where we don't hear many women is uh, podcasts. We're quite often the token woman, so it's nice for us to take over and just hear female voices in this episode. It is. I wonder if Lindsay and Sean will ever come back.
Stay in touch on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching for TEFL Commute. And don't forget to subscribe to get the next episode. So thanks for listening, everybody. And goodbye. Goodbye. As your commute is coming to an end, here's an idea you can take into class. Go back to the quiz at the beginning of the podcast. Play each question one by one. Stop the podcast after each question and ask your students to discuss the answers. Then play the podcast again so you can hear my answers and the ones that Sandy gives. You might want to ask your students to look for the answers online. You've been listening to The TEFL Commute, an original podcast produced and presented by Lindsay Clanfield, Sean Wilden and James Taylor. You can support this podcast at buymeacoffee.com forward slash TEFL Commute. Don't miss out on any episodes by subscribing to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or your podcast player of choice. And by visiting us at tefelcommute.com. Thank you.